Can we stop creating functionally uninsured plan members by shifting our focus from payment design to plan innovation? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. This is the Shift Shapers podcast, connecting benefits advisors with thought leaders and entrepreneurs who are shaping the shifts in the industry. And now, here's your host, David Saltzman. And we are here at the NABIP meeting in New Orleans, and we are talking to Kevin Keekafer, who is president and chief growth officer at Gravy. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, David. Looking forward to the discussion today. We appreciate you sharing your expertise. So talk a little bit about your journey, because, you know, there are two people in the entire universe who who were born and said, I want to be in insurance. So how'd how'd you get to be doing what you're doing? (laughs) Great question. And you're spot on. Because coming out of college, I was accounting finance, and I did uh, work for Deloitte and Touche long enough to know I didn't want to be an accountant. And a good friend of mine, Kyle Roffing, serial entrepreneur, um, got me into the healthcare business. So spent about 25 plus years working between Cigna and Aetna. Um, Most of that time all in the Midwest out of Chicago, selling to the large employer market, actually all sizes, started in small business, worked up all the way, finished that time uh, in the national account space. And then I did my first startup uh, with the two gentlemen that actually founded Gravy. And that was Bloom. We thought we were going to solve healthcare with a private exchange and defined contribution back then in 2010. And um, we did it long enough that we sold that company to Anthem, HCSC, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Michigan. Then it became a blue asset. Um, from there, I went to Consumer Medical, which was a shared decision-making expert and medical opinion company. Um, started as a chief revenue officer, ultimately was the CEO of that company. And we sold that to a light, Big Ben Admin platform out of Chicago in uh, October 21. And took some time off and a beer, the founder of Gravy, called me up and said, hey, we need some help. We're, we're really growing. And uh, that's what's brought me to the role I am in today. That's awesome. So let's start by defining the problem we're, we're trying to solve, and then we can talk all about the various pieces of it. What is the issue as you guys see it? Yeah. I think that if you think about healthcare, and the interesting thing that I like to give a beer a hard time about is he was one of the founders of Definity, which started the whole HSA idea and, and, and the deductible and getting the employee to have more skin in the game, right? However, over time, employers only were trying to reduce the the medical trend increases that they were managing. They've shifted more and more of that burden on the backs of the employees. And you're looking now for the average deductible, I think, for small businesses is somewhere in close to $3,000. You could make an argument for most Americans, that's not even having insurance. And so what we have seen is people are delaying care and putting off the care they need because they can't afford it. And we've now, from our plan design, we flipped that 180 degrees. So we looked at our book of business and said, what if we remove those barriers? And what I mean by that is covering 100%, no deductible, um, no copay, on what we say 85% of the encounters most Americans use healthcare for. And so examples of those are obviously primary care, specialty care, labs, x-rays, including high-cost imaging, generic drugs. We want that, we really are trying to encourage people to go in and see their physician when they need to. Now, what we've noticed is a lower 
inpatient stays, lower high cost items. And that's in the data I'll be talking about tomorrow is the difference in the cost between our, this is on four years of data now, cohorts about 50,000 belly buttons. The comfort plan, the plan I just designed mentioned, that's been running about 20% less PEPY than your standard HSA PPO plans. And what it's pointing to is people are getting the care they need earlier to prevent those large costs. Do you have any data on what the cost is of people not feeling they can access the system? I mean, the example that we use is, you know, little Johnny isn't feeling really well. Yeah. Mom and dad know they should take him to the pediatrician, but they can't afford the out-of-pocket, so they don't. And two weeks later, he's running up an $85,000 bill in PICU with pneumonia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on that, um, it was interesting. So the Gallup poll in 2021, they asked Americans to describe the healthcare system. And the two words that came up the most were expensive and broken. And looking at the data um, that we see, it's approaching over uh, 35% of people that are saying they can't afford healthcare. When you ask people, um, you know, have they delayed care? It's have after uh, COVID pandemic, it's now approaching like 45%. That's, that, that's just incredible. And, yeah. and yet we don't look at it that way because we, we are busy looking in the rearview mirror, looking at claims spend. Yep. And if, a, if there isn't a claim, then, you know, how, how do you count it, right? We, we need to look more forward. Yep. I think that's what a lot of stuff's doing. Now, you, you mentioned direct primary care. How does that integrate or does it? Or is that just something that you recommend? We are recommending it. Um, we are definitely encouraging through our call center and our app to get in and find that health care that they need. But if you think about like all the different point solutions that we've tried to give people money to use care, I think the best way to get it is through plan design. Um, they see it. They feel it. Uh, we spend a lot of time in open enrollment meetings making sure they understand, no, it's really no cost. Um, so much of the time people say, this sounds too good to be true. Um, and when they use it, then they, they see it. We, we have people that will send us little uh, snippets on their iPhone. Like they're pulling up for the first time at the pharmacy and they're like, there's no way this is going to be zero cost. And they will, it literally is zero cost. Now, for the broker advisory community, they're probably at this point going, this sounds too good to be true, right? So we get that a lot. Um, what we're trying to get the expense side of this equation, if you think about all those things are really lower cost items when you think about the total spend of healthcare. If you need a surgery though, it's you have to pay that out-of-pocket max with us. So our most highest selling one is a 3,000 single out-of-pocket max. Then you're like, well, Kevin, you just said people can't afford healthcare, right? Which we get and understand. So what we do is we wrap around that. So if you were out playing basketball and tore your knee up and you had an ACL, clearly that's going to cost more uh, than the out-of-pocket. But if you're a low wage earner, we have a product which we call Gravy Pay. Our partner is patient that helps us administrate that. Essentially, we give them that interest-free loan. The cool thing is gravy takes on that responsibility. So we don't put that liability on the employer. Um, and if the employee leaves, it's up to us to go track that down. But it's essentially no, no interest charged to the, to the member. Um, and again, it's all about removing those barriers of care. But when you have a little more skin in the game, that helps us offset all those other things that we pay for. Well, and it doesn't keep somebody out of the hospital because they can't write a $3,000 check today. Spot on. So how the hell did we get here? 
I think we got here. It's kind of like the, you know, the old analogy, you, you, you put the frog in the water, you turn the pot on and all of a sudden the frog dies because it's boiling. I think it's just increased like that way over time. Um, and I think people are, you're starting to see the employers getting more concerned about it. So I think the employers are like, wait a minute, I know my workforce can't afford these high deductibles. And they certainly, because they're using discretionary, they don't have the money that they can put in the HSA. So how do we turn that around? And I think it's, that's certainly playing out in our data. The other thing that's, I think, unique too, is if you look at our renewals, because um, that I think isn't always a really good way to validate um, if we're actually delivering on what we need. So our last renewal season, and this is over a thousand employers, we had a 93.5% retention rate, which is extremely good for a small business. It's generally about 10 points better than what the bukas are running. Second point, and the most important part, our average increase on that gravy comfort plan was 6%. The HSAs and the higher, those plans are actually running worse. So on those plans, that was about an 8.8%, still below medical trend, but we're sharing that back with the employer by getting their folks in to get the care they need, sir. So how much employee education do you need to do? Because it's not only the broker community that's thinking, wow, this is too good to be true. And we're not just talking about gravy. I mean, there, there are other folks who are following the same kind of a pathway. 100%. How much employee education do you have to do before people realize, hey, this is not a scam. This is not bait and switch or three card Monty or any of those great things. Yep. We, we actually have health insurance now that we can use. Yeah. Great question. And we, um, our account management team and implementation staff, once we onboard a client, we're doing those open enrollment meetings. Uh, we'll show up on site. We send them communication material that explains what this is. Work really closely with their HR department. Um, and we, it's an ongoing process too. We don't just do it one, we're done. So we consistently give our employer clients access to materials that we create. That's innovative. That's fun. That's new. That's one. Two you got to make it easy for Americans, right? So we're really pushing the um, app, um, which you can turn on that gravy pay. Everything's integrated. Um, and and what will be coming down the road too are more point solutions that we've curated on behalf of the member. Yeah, that, that seems to be a growing trend 100%. about trying to bring more to the table in one package to make it less intimidating or less confusing or whatever. Yeah, kind of out of left field, but I've wondered this a lot. Is any of the acceptance of this kind of thinking and, and this kind of thinking in and of itself being driven by the fact that during COVID, people started realizing that they could pay less for meds using a good RX card than they could if they went through their insurance. And all of a sudden, the eyes kind of slammed open and said, wait, this doesn't make sense to me, but yeah. yet it's happening. Yeah. No, I think the it, we've reached that boiling point. I think we're at a tipping point, right? Where the it's gotten so costly and we haven't as an industry done a decent job in holding down the medical trends, right? Because it's, it's easy. The easy approach is to say, well, let's just make the employees pay for it. We've gone too far now and the employees are looking for other ways to do this. And I think when they started to see and delay care, and I'll give you actually a personal example. Um, you know, I grew up on a farm for the audience. They can't see me, but I'm fair skinned. So I was driving tractors as a kid. And had a lot of sun damage. So I'm going in for my normal every six month checkup with my dermatologist. 
And the second is like, well, what are you seeing? Are you seeing more, um, you know, like basal cell? Is it related to the environment? She's like, Kevin, she's like, we're seeing way more melanoma now because people haven't come in. So the basal cell has turned into something more serious. And at that point, it gets really costly and people are actually dying, which is really sad. Um, and you know, you see that play out with cancers, if you catch them early, so treatable, right? Um, so we need more of that education and it's gotta be easy for the member. Is the platform that underlies what you guys are trying to do solely self-funded plans? Yes. We're selling level funded and self-funding, um, because we want to, we want the employer to have that skin in the game as well. And we will write really small. We'll go down to 15 lives. Um, and you can get a very low in individual stop loss amount and make it feel like it's fully insured. But if the employer is doing the right things and encouraging the communication, as you mentioned, they should participate in that. So with us on our level funded plans, they get 50% of the surplus back and we don't carry deficits forward. We want to work with them and be a true partner in every sense of the word. So let's, let's go back to the 20,000 foot subject matter expert kind of a level. What if this kind of a plan design motif really starts taking off and we can go down to smaller groups? I mean, when I ran a TPA in 98 and for about seven years thereafter, you would never say the word self-funding and under 200 lives, under 300 lives in the same sentence. It was heresy. Yeah. But since we can now go down to, to smaller groups and do it effectively, what's that going to do to the more traditional carriers? I think, you know, um, having worked in the health insurance business for a long time, I'm not going to say which carrier, but put it this way, they had over 15 million members and about 20% of that was fully insured and 80% was self-funded big accounts. That 20% drove 85% of the profits for the, for the insurance company, right? Because that's where they make their money because if... If they have low claims, insurance company lays leads. We want to build, yes, we, will, we want to have a profitable business, but we don't want to do it on the backs of the small employer. And I think you're spot on as companies like us and others that are in this level funded going down market, it's going to have to force the Bukas to do the same thing because we are winning more than our fair share by converting fully insured groups to level funded. Well, I guess the question that comes to mind is, can they do that? Their their entire business model is so antithetical yeah. to this kind of a really true consumer employer-driven initiative. Do you think they're going to be able to make that leap? You know, they're going to struggle. You know, having worked in two big clans, um, they, they're, they don't move quickly. Um, they've antiquated systems. Um, it's harder for them to respond to the innovation. Uh, but they will move quickly if it starts hitting their pocketbook and they start losing more and more clients, they'll have to figure out a way to do that. Are you concurrently seeing more self-pay options coming into the marketplace? Yes, uh, we are definitely seeing that. Um, you think about our solution um, with the gravy pay card that we do, you know, we want the provider community to know that we make this easy for them and get their funds faster as well. Um, because the last thing they want is trying to chase an individual down for that high deductible health plan. And that's why we've tried to just eliminate and simplify at the provider level and at the facility level. 
but those are other options. We don't necessarily need that with our gravy comfort plan design, but some of the other programs out there can do. When you work on, and this is a question I ask almost everybody who's into these kinds of spaces these days, when you work on trying to integrate direct primary care, there are so many areas that are deserts for DPC because it's just really now, it's amazing. It was a concept that was come up by the American Academy of Pediatric Surgeons back Geez, way before HMOs, I actually think is what HMOs started out to be before the accountants got involved when Entoven and those guys were, were doing all that work. How do you overcome those direct primary care deserts? And there are lots of them. I mean, good Lord, there are medical care deserts still in this country and there are underserved communities. How do you bring a solution like this nationwide? Right. Yep. Um, it's, you know, that's why we have a partnership with Teladoc. So we try to push in those desert areas, you know, um, providing those services through virtual visits. It's not perfect, um, but it does work. I've seen it work. Um, my mother, uh, before she passed, had struggled with mental health and she lived in Kansas and she couldn't find a good mental health provider. But we worked it and she got great treatment uh, through virtual visits. So that's an example. Um, I think... We do need to put more funding and support more of the primary care visits. I think it's going to be a combination of industry because if you think about it, the employers really are providing most of the health care in the U.S. today. I think we can push for legislation. I think we can push for more payment, better payment design for primary care because uh, I'm a huge believer in that. I mean, if you think about it, most of the primary care can, can it, it identify and treat most of the conditions before you have to go to a specialist. Well, and most DPC docs will tell you that their average patient has under $5,000 worth of medical bills in a year. Yeah. And it's so, it's so amazingly cost effective. I mean, I've, I'm on Medicare and I still have a DPC relationship. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a proponent, but I understand that it's challenging. Do you think it's kind of a chicken and egg thing as there are more plans that are willing to support DPC providers and integrate them into the plans? that there will be more direct primary yes. care providers coming into the market? Short answer, yes. I can't imagine a doc going and coming out of medical school going, yeah, I want to work for a hospital and, you know, be under those kinds of conditions. Nobody, it's inconceivable to me that anybody would go through the rigors of going to medical school and all that training and all that debt to then work in that kind of a system where they really don't see patients, they see diseases and they throw darts at their dartboards. Yep. Yeah. I, I, think, you're, I think you're spot on on that. Um, and it's building that relationship, right? It's so critical to have a relationship with their primary care because they're the ones that are seeing you, they're checking in on you, they know you. And by the way, give them time, right? You can't ask a doctor to try to see and diagnose in seven minutes or less, right? Uh, we've got to be better about that as an industry. Yeah, there, there's no question. I mean, I, I, I had a medical event a few years ago where I'm grateful that my DPC doc at the time was up in Maine was an internist because they thought I had a form of cancer. And he said, I don't know what this is, but it's not cancer. And he had the time to spend to research it so that he could find out exactly what it was and how to treat it. So it, it's, I'm just old enough to remember the old family doctor relationships. Do you see some of that coming back as well? Yeah, uh, absolutely do. Uh, for the primary care doctors that are good, right? Um, because I think they're very resourceful and they do it at a lower cost. You know, we at Consumer Medical, my old company, we also did second opinions and the really good primary care dots, they love that, right? Because you would work with them on getting the medical records and then you would tap into some of the top experts and you can do that now virtually. I think AI will help a lot of that as that continues to advance. We're seeing that. You're definitely seeing it play out in radiology, you know? I mean, that's a like 
they can identify and, and read that faster than physicians and at a more accurate rate. Uh, but I think we will definitely am a big proponent of supporting that model. So we've got about four or five minutes left. Let's talk about the future, uh, not just for you guys, but in, in general of, of, of how we dispense healthcare, what kind of outcomes we have, good, bad, and indifferent. And where do you see this going? I mean, you, you, by nature of what you have done in your career, you look out towards the future. Yeah. What do you see coming? Yeah, I think immediate, maybe not good. I think, you know, we've been holding trend down now with the shortage of physicians, shortage of nurses. You saw Kaiser announced that they were going to get a 15% increase out in California. United came out and said that's coming. What that really is saying is the current system's not really working, right? So I think if we can get more of this preventive stuff, you're going to start to see some of those trends down. I'd say that's one. I think more innovation around diabetes, um, cancer, musculoskeletal, all that is going to help advance and control costs. We have a partnership with SWORD, and they're a really good physical therapy in in all, right? And and most Americans give up on physical therapy after maybe two weeks. The clinical effectiveness is generally eight weeks. And when you go through that, you prevent a lot of surgeries, right? Backs are a great example. In the U.S. today, as advanced as we are, it's only effective. The clinical effectiveness of back surgery is 50%. So it's like flipping a coin. And when you educate the consumer on that, they will try other things, right, first. So we need to be better about how we integrate and offer that to the um, employee. I think also there's going to be more advancement in personalized medicine. The mapping of the genome and how we attack diseases is going to be really fascinating as we kind of roll that out. I think the government is going to be really looking at the pharmaceuticals and how can we help get our arms around some of that expense. I think that's going to be a big thing on this next election. Uh, I think we do need some government support and help in that because a lot of times they're taking money from the government for the research, but they're keeping all that profit. And we've got to be better about that as, as an industry. Yeah, I think the, you know, we, we interviewed um, some folks from Blue Jeans. And they're, they're about to do the first wide-scale trial with one of the large carriers because carriers don't pay for that right now, even though the tests are now like 250, 300 bucks, right? Even just five years ago, they were thousands, thousands, thousands of dollars. And I, you know, what I asked Nick was, his name is Nick Glimcher. And I asked Nick, I said, do, do you think we're ultimately going to get to the point where when babies are born, they do this assay automatically? And he said, yeah, that's, that's what the long-term goal looks like. And, and why wouldn't you do it if you've got Seven out of 10 people who are taking Plavix and three, you know, uh, seven people can metabolize it, but three can't. Right. And worse, one of the seven is a hypermetabolizer. So they're, they're getting too much of it in their system and they're prone to stroke. That's, I think that's going to be a huge piece. And I mean, are you guys looking at that in terms of integrating it down the road? Is that something you're thinking about? Absolutely. Uh, ben Simmons, our chief strategy officer, he's working on that as we kind of think about that health plan of the future, 100%. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us today about what you guys are doing and where the market's going. Kevin Keekafer, the CGO, the Chief Growth Officer at Gravy. Thank, thank you so much, Kevin, for sharing your expertise with us. We appreciate it. You bet, Evan. Thanks for what you're doing, helping educate us and make us all. I'm a big believer that the room is always smarter than one individual. So the more we can have discussions like this and share our knowledge, it's just going to help. 
Hope the industry. No question. We appreciate it. Take good care. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.